Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will empower and inspire you. If you have a Bible, we're going to go to the book of Numbers this morning, the book of Numbers chapter 13. Um, we're going to read out a bunch of text, and I'm just going to kind of do it all at the start, and then we're going to try and dive into it. I want to lay a little bit of a foundation in the first couple of minutes based on where we went yesterday or last Sunday, sorry, and then we're going to dive into something entirely new. But in Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to start reading in verse 17, it says, Then Moses sent them to explore Canaan, and he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Um, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? Um, what kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees there or, on, on it or not? Um, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Come down to verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went up into the land you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live on the Niger. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. In other words, there's, there's just people everywhere. But then, si then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Yeah. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad or evil or false report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Uh, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. V verse 5 of chapter 14. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. How many people just like that? It's just great preaching. Verse 24 of Numbers 14 says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, a different spirit, and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he, he went into, and his descendants will inherit it. 
Now come over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you haven't got it, you can just turn to it in your Bible, uh, sorry, on the screen. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And then just jump over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. It is on your screen, but it is the theme scripture for this series of messages we're in called Dreamwalkers. And it says in Acts 2.17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will have vision and your old men will dream dreams. This verse of Scripture is what's inspired our series that we're in at the moment. And in a nutshell, it says that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, dreams come alive. Whenever God is moving amongst a group of people, those people will not spend their lives lamenting their past, mourning what the mistakes of yesterday. They will spend their time dreaming. They will prophesy. They will have vision. They will dream dreams. When God is moving in a group of people, they will be fixated and obsessed about the future. I think we think, I think we think that if God starts moving, we're going to start feeling really bad for the things that we did yesterday. But that is not, not what the Bible says. The overwhelming theme of the Bible is that if God is moving, your life will come alive. Sure, you will be convicted of your sin. You absolutely will be. That will, that will last for a moment. And then the moment your sin is forgotten and repented of, God will then begin to inspire your life that He has got a plan for you, that He's got a future for you, that there is a vision that He has for your life that He wrote before you even came into this world. If you believe that, give me a loud yeah. yeah. That's what happens when God starts moving. We think God's going to start talking to us about other stuff, but He doesn't. And the reason why when God turns up, He starts talking to us about our future is because that is what God is thinking about. Yeah. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 puts it like this. I know the thoughts I think toward you, says God. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Thoughts to give you a, come on, shout it. Future. You can do better. Shout. Future. And uh, oh. in other words, God is thinking about your tomorrow. He's thinking about your dream. He's thinking about your vision. He's thinking about you, not even where you are now, but where He wants you to go. So when He starts talking, He's going to talk about what He's thinking about. That's what every wife wants her husband to simply do. What are you thinking about? Just tell her what you're thinking about. That's all she wants, not nothing, you liar. She just wants you to tell her what you're thinking about. 
And when you converse with God, He talks to you about what He's thinking about. He is thinking about your future. Can I get an amen? amen? I'll tell you what God's not thinking about. He's not thinking about your yesterday. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. Hebrews 8, verse 12 literally says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin. You can put in brackets there. Their past, all their faults, all their failings, all their flaws. I will remember their past no more. So God does not, cannot, has chosen not to think about every fault and failing in your life. And what He is thinking about is the you that He is taking you into. He is thinking about your future, which is why Isaiah 43, 18 brings it together. And it says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Before it springs up, I will reveal it to you. Forget the past, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. I'm doing something new. Take what I'm about to do and perceive it, know it, think about it, get it into your head. God wants you and I not to be a past rememberer, but a dream walker. He wants our lives alive with where He is taking us. Now, now I've got this, uh, this illustration up here. I, I used it on last Sunday night, but I want to recap on it and use it as a foundation for where we're going this morning, because every single one of us has in our lives a collection of memories. These memories begin, uh, perhaps not when we're born, but obviously the starting point of our journey is when we're born. And then as we walk through the events of our lives, we start collecting memories. These memories are like images. They're really movies. They're not they're not one-dimensional, they're not still photos, but imagine this is like your iPhone, you know, videos catalog, and if you press play, every single one of these pictures, these, these canvases, these, these piece of paper represent for us the fact that our lives are filled with memories, and they begin when we're born. I mean, uh, I've got lots of memories from when I'm a kid, but I want to talk to you about one when I was four. When I was four years old, I remember having a dream in the middle of the night, and at the age of four, I knew that I woke up crying, and I knew that God was saying, I want your life. You will serve me for the entirety of your life, and that's one of my first ever memories when I was four years old. I, I remember, I remember um, another time uh, when I was eight years old, and this is kind of on the positive side of my journey, but I remember when I was eight years old was the first time I knew that it was my destiny to be a leader. I remember being in a soccer team at lunchtime at school. I was not the captain, and I spent the entire lunchtime perplexed that I was not the captain of the team. <laughs> And, and these, are, these are memories. These are memories that live inside my head, the memories that are there for me. I remember another one. It's not, not a good one. This is a bad one. But I remember when I was uh, 15 years old, uh, 15 years old, I remember uh, was when maybe 16, 15, 16, was when I rode off my first car. It was in the, late at night. Uh, friends were in the car. It was on my restricted license. The car was written off. A friend of mine got hurt. And that is a really bad memory for me in my life. And I carry it with me. I think about it. There wouldn't be a month that doesn't go by that it doesn't pop into my head. And I, I just remember that event. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Um, I remember when I was 18 years old, I found Jesus. And that, that absolutely will always be one of the most uh, fundamentally life-changing memories of my life. I remember when I was 23, hello, hotness, uh, that... 
that is when I married Jillian, and that, that, that is just continues to be one of the best things about my life, was marrying her. And interestingly enough, I've got 23 minutes to go as I write 23 up there, which is just so wonderful. And then, you know, the amazing thing about it is that from the time that I have found Jesus, I haven't just been living with memories of my past. I'm not just thinking about when I was 15 or, you know, I could put up so many memories in here and everybody could. You've all got your own little video catalog. I'm not just thinking about everything from my past. Because I've discovered Jesus, the moment I began to worship him, and it's the same for every single one of us, the moment you start worshiping, God starts communicating. When, when you get into his presence, visions come alive. And so from the moment that I began to be a worshiper, my life has been filled with vision, and it's been filled with a sense of a dream. I mean, this starts the moment you find Jesus. The moment you find Jesus, people discover the power to break addictions that they've, they've been in rehab for their whole life. And it's not always instant for everybody, but the reason why is because what's been missing in their, in their addiction kind of cure is an understanding of why God made them. And when you discover God, He begins to fill your heart with even just this vague sense, you're alive for a reason, your life is a purpose, you're not an accident. You're in no way a mistake. You're here because God wanted you to be here, and your life will count for His eternal plan. Come on, no matter where you are, if you believe that, give God a little bit of praise that He made you with a plan in mind. That's the way, that's the way that this journey works, and, and it's amazing because uh, when you start thinking about your life, and you start thinking about your existence, and you start to to contrast, if we just stand in the middle point maybe of, of a life, and we've got on one side of the life where the life has come from, and on the other side of the life what's still ahead of it, what's amazing to note is that, that, that there is great similarity in the impact in a life of a past memory and of a future dream. And I'll tell you why it is this morning, because when I go back in my little memory catalog and I start thinking about that car crash uh, when I was 15 years old, it's alive in me because my spirit doesn't live inside of time. So when I go backwards and I play this movie, I am playing the movie and the same emotions are invoked, the same feelings are there, the same experiences alive. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's as real in my past as it is in my present. Now, 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 if I take enough of those memories and I piece them together and I just kind of, I kind of collect them and I make them into one, then what's happening in my life is I'm, I'm taking a, an image from when I was four and an image from when I was eight and an image from when I was 15 and I'm erecting in my life really a, a bigger canvas that becomes not just my images, but my self-image. It becomes in my life the picture that constructs the way I feel about me. Is, is this not true? I mean, you can, you can have had a wonderful life, but one thing happened to you at one moment, and every time you think about it, that is what you conjure to mind. And if it, if it becomes the dominant emotion of your life, then it will dictate the course of your life. If it becomes the prevailing picture, then it becomes the way that you see yourself. Is anyone following me so far? 
Now, what's amazing about young children is how differently they see the world. I mean, I was in a cafe yesterday. Jillian's mom and dad are here. We were out at a cafe, and I'd already written this in my notes, and it happened in front of me. There was about a three- or four-year-old kid in the restaurant cafe where we were having lunch, and the little kid was said, you know, I can't remember what his name was, but let's call, let's call the kid, um, you know, Bob. And, you know, and, and someone says, hey, Bob, and Bob says, I'm not Bob. You've all seen this, right? I'm not Bob. I'm an astronaut. You know, I'm not, I'm not Bob. I'm, I'm Buzz Lightyear. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not Sarah. I'm not Sarah. I am a princess. And you know, in Sarah's little mind, she is in no way Sarah for that. I mean, I remember Lara when she was three. I don't even know if she's in the service, but she would fight with me in the middle of winter. She'd want to wear a princess dress. And I'd say, Lara, wear these warm clothes. And it was a stupid fight. I should have just let her wear whatever she wanted to. It was haggling over dumb things. Don't ever do that. Pick your fights as a parent, but I picked the wrong one. But in her little three-year-old mind, she was a princess. And she wanted to wear a princess dress. Why? Because she doesn't have a lot of other memories yet. So the differentiation, the differentiation between what few memories she has and the dreams in her life are all but gone and she can paint this amazing picture of the person that she's going to be and it's alive and it shapes the way she feels. Have you ever watched a little kid? I mean, they just walk into a room, they just walk into a room and they're just like, I, I'm a princess. Do you know what I'm saying? You've seen that girl? You've seen that guy and he just walks in there and like, I'm an all black. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can hardly walk, but I'm an all black, you know? And the reason why is because their dreams are so vivid in their minds. Now, now we, start, we, start, we start obscuring it, don't we? We start obscuring that out. And we start, we start covering it with all of the pain of our lives. And it begins to impact the way our, we see ourselves. Now, what happens when we find Christ? What happens when we find Christ is He starts taking us on a new journey. Every time you connect with God, He starts to speak to you, not you that is now, but the you that He's going to make you in the future. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit. And when people connect with me, when it's no longer hard to access my presence, then I'm gonna raise a generation of people who are gonna live prophesying, visioning, dreaming. They are gonna be alive with hope and promise and potential and a future. Come on, if you believe that, give God some praise together this morning. Come on. And when you get enough of these and you put them together, then your life starts to be shaped, not by a picture of who you were, but by a picture of who God is gonna make you into. And that is why, that is why coming to God's presence and dreaming a dream is one of the most fundamentally important things that a believer does. Because whenever you worship, you dream. And whenever you dream, you worship. Whenever you come into the presence of God, He's gonna fill you with a dream. And if you are spending time with God and you're dreaming, then you are worshiping. God wants you to see yourself the way He sees you. God wants you to know who you are the way He knows who you are. He wants you and I to be filled with a vision and a dream. Come on, if I'm making sense, give me a loud amen. Come on. Come on, let me hear you. Come on, Hamilton. 
Come on, Christchurch. These Cantabrians are dreaming. They've got a dream and a vision that they're going to win something, you know, again one day. You know, they're just dreaming for it. But, you know, we're alive with a dream and a vision when we spend time in the presence of God. Now, our key text today, our key text is these 12 spies. What's amazing about these 12 spies, and if we could just, we could just return to this again, is that they were all raised in exactly the same suburb. Okay, so all 12 spies grew up in the same community. So like there was upper class, you know, Egyptian slave town and lower class, you know, some guys went to the flash school, some kids didn't. There's no deciles, everybody's decile one. They all grew up in exactly the same location. Come on, are you with me today? Not only that, but they all had the same physical stature. I mean, they were the best that each one guy from an entire tribe, and there were three million people, okay? I mean, we have an all-black squad of 40 at the moment. It's going to get narrowed down a little bit, but this is 12 from the same population base. These guys, they were cut, ripped, abs, muscles, shoulders, you know, chiseled features. These guys all looked the same. Not only that, but they all had exactly the same experiences. I mean, they, they all went the same environment. They all had the same slave masters. They all came out, parted through the same Red Sea. They all ate the same manner, exactly the same experiences, and they all had exactly the same opportunities. Are you with me today? And then the Bible says that these 12 guys who have the same background, the same appearance, the same experiences, and the same opportunities are sent by God through Moses to survey the promised land, the promised land. We're going to camp on this a little bit more later, but we're basically saying they were sent by God to explore the vision and the dream, okay? That's why they were sent out there. Is this making sense to anybody? And then the Bible says that when they came back, you hear from the 10 this ridiculous report. They begin to recount what they saw. And, and, and basically, they're walking with their own picture of who they are. I don't know how they formed it, but they've got their self-image. And they, they walked into this amazing land. They came back, and they sort of start with some truth. They're like, the land we explored, not going to lie to you, this is the only true thing I'm going to say, but the land is exceedingly good. It flows with milk and honey. It's, it's, it's really is lush. But the people we saw there are powerful. Their cities are fortified and they're large. Um, you know, the, the descendants of Anak live there. And, and the 10 begin to talk, and, and it's kind of factual, but it's pessimistic. And there's two ways that you can see even the few, and report even on something. And it is really shaped by how you see yourself. And then the Bible says that Caleb gets up, and this is the first time his name jumps into the Bible. Caleb just jumps up, uh, this unknown cat from a tribe, and he's just like, we should go in, man. We should, we should go in. God is, God is for us. God is with us. And if God is with us, we can, we can take 
this land. And then we're back, we're back to the 10. And when we jump back to the 10, well, now they just abandon the truth and they're into flat out lies. They're like, well, guys, you gotta know that the people that we saw there, I mean, those people, they are stronger than we are. The land, it like devours people. They're just walking through the land and suddenly a hole opens up and they just pop down into a hole. I mean, uh, you know, we saw the Nephilim there. I don't even know what Nephilim are, but they're, they're clearly some kind of giant race of people that the very mention of their name is like saying all blacks to a wallaby. It's just, you know, uh, the very, God bless you, Luke Smith. It's like, it's like the moment that you... The moment that you put it out there, it inspires fear within people. They said, man, there are just so many obstacles. And then they just begin to talk about themselves. And this, is, this is the powerful thing that says, we looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes. So based on the way we see ourselves, we are ridiculously small. We look like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we appeared the same to them. This is the way the 10 saw the promised land. Now, the Bible literally says that they gave a bad, evil, or false report, but then, then we jump into the two. And what I've got to ask you this morning is what is so fundamentally different about the two? Because we've got them all growing up in the same in, neighborhood, all went to the same school, they, they all had the same experiences, they all had the same opportunities, and physically they were exactly the same height and shape, yet the Bible says about the two that they had a totally different perspective of the land that they explored. They said, hang on a minute, God is with us. And if God is with us, then He is gonna take us into this land. He is gonna give it to us. We are gonna take possession of it. Hey, hey, don't falter, come alive. Don't be filled with fear, be filled with faith. Don't see your end, see your beginning. And you and I, you and I are gonna have moments in our lives when we are gonna step out of our past experiences and we're gonna step into the environments of our future. The key, the key to what they were stepping into is in the name. How about I write it up for us this morning? They were stepping into the promised land. Okay, let's put it together. They were stepping into the vision that God had for their lives. And when they, we should never use a rope again for this because it's bouncing, but we, they, they stepped into their promised land and when they stepped into it, the Bible says that 10 step into what God has got for them and they're like, no, 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 this is not working for us and they wanna pull back you know, it's amazing what the 10 begin to do is they begin to argue. They're arguing. I mean, you know, God sent them in. Moses sent them in. He said, guys, when you get in there, I want you to just check out. Here's my, here's my facts list. This is all I want you to bring back. Tell me, are the cities fortified or large? What's the soil like? I've never been there. Tell me about the crops. I mean, tell me about this place. What is it like? And then when they come back, they are not, they're not presenting to Moses a facts report. They're presenting to Moses their own analysis. And they're arguing, arguing, arguing. They're like, we shouldn't go up there. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't move forward. We, we shouldn't press through. We should just stay where we are. Why are they arguing with Moses? Why? Why would you argue with a promise? 
right? And the, the reality is they argued with the promise because they had an argument. So if you jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says that though we live in this world, we don't wage war like this world does. We, we have weapons that have divine power and they demolish strongholds. Then they take authority over arguments and then they, then they arrest the pretension and finally they're going to take down uh, a thought. So it begins in a false thought and the thought is probably conceived in a, in a painful moment. The painful moments of your life, you, everybody's going to have them. But the moment you start to identify with them and start thinking thoughts around your pain, you're, you're heading on a dangerous journey. Because thoughts not dealt with become pretensions. What's a pretension? I've taught this many times in our church, but it's an assumption. A, a pretension is an assumption. It's something that you believe to be true and you never test it. So you just live your life in line with it. So they're in everybody's mind. Everybody hearing this message is thinking about, I'm from Whangarei, I went to this school, my parents were divorced, I've had this kind of upbringing, I come from here, I've had this failure. You're all thinking about your life, and as you think about your life, see the, the truth is, the Bible says about God that He's thinking about your future, and He remembers not your past. How we stuff our lives up the most is we forget we have a future, and we live our lives thinking about our past. And when we do that, then a thought becomes a pretension, right? Is anyone with me? A pretension then becomes an argument, and an argument is what happened to these guys. They are about to step into what they were put on this planet for. And as they walk into what they are, why God made them, why God even allowed them to go through slavery. They only went through slavery to get to the promise. You only, sometimes you're gonna go through difficulty so you can get to the thing that God really has for you. He's, he's more concerned about the destination than he is about the pathway. And so they went through slavery to get to this place. And the Bible says that when they walk into it, they're like, oh, this is not us. This can't be us. And they are enraged at what they were supposed to be inspired by. And I've seen this a hundred times. Ever met a wealthy person who's talked to you about someone coining the side of their car? Ever seen somebody who's like, can't believe the way they live? Ever, ever met somebody who's like angry at somebody else's life? The poor, you know, embittered towards the prosperous? The, you know, the, the person whose marriage is on their last ropes looks at somebody who's saying, I really do love you to their, and they're like, ah. Oh. It's an argument. It's the confrontation of truth to a person bound by something that is false and because the truth is not alive in them, they repel towards it. They repel from it rather than pull towards it. And arguments not torn down become strongholds. You with me? Now, let's jump over to Joshua and Caleb. Because when we start jumping over into Joshua and Caleb, the Bible literally talks about it with these guys. And, and I want to show you how powerful this is and how this can apply to your life. We've got five minutes left. Let's make it count. The Bible says about Joshua and about Caleb that, that Caleb had a different spirit. He had a different spirit. Now, the word different in the Greek literally means occur. A-C-H, 
E-R. And in the Greek, uh, sorry, in the Hebrew, it literally means that his spirit was next or following. So he is living in the same environment. He is in the same wilderness. But the Bible talks about him, and it says about his spirit, about his spirit, about the very core of who he was, that, that it was different. He was living in the same neighborhood. He had the same whip across his back. He, he was living in the same wilderness, but he had a different spirit, A-C-H-E-R. And that word occur literally means he had a next spirit or a, a following spirit. He, he didn't live where his body lived. His spirit had a different home. Now, now, before you clap, let me, let me show you why. Because then God said he had a different spirit because he follows me. Now, the word follows is the Greek word akar, A-C-H-A-R. It's, it's, it's almost, when you're reading it, it's almost indistinguishable from occur because he has come after me. The word, the, the he is a different spirit because he follows me wholeheartedly. Now, the word follow it literally means a, a, a car, which means to come after, to come after. So we've got 12 people with exactly the same life and exactly the same opportunities and exactly the same experiences, yet the Bible talks about Joshua. Now, Joshua was a worshiper. He loved God. And when, when Moses climbed up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, not even the elders could cross an invisible line in the sand except for Joshua, who got to kind of eavesdrop on Moses' conversations with the whole Holy One of God. I mean, Moses would go outside and he would converse with God in the tent of meeting. That's worship. Talking to God is worship. It's not just lifting up your hands. It's listening. It's not what you say that makes your prayer powerful. It's what you hear that makes your prayer powerful. And man, man, Moses is conversing with God. Then Moses would finish. And the Bible literally says that Joshua, he would just crawl into that tent and he would just enjoy the afterglow. And then I I love, I love Caleb because this is the first time his name is used in the Bible, meaning you don't have to come from royalty. You don't have to come from a chosen family. You can come from nowhere and be the same as Joshua. But when a life begins to worship, when a life begins to reach, when a Holy Spirit starts connecting with that life, then the Bible begins to say, well, something changes in that life. You don't just worship God and stay the same. You don't. You don't just get into God's presence and see a dream and remain the same. No. When you get with God into His presence, you start getting a different spirit. Your, your spirit becomes next or following, meaning that God doesn't live in the neighborhood of your pain. God doesn't live in your past. God's not thinking about your sin, your failure, your shame. God is thinking about the reason why He put you on this planet. And when you start worshiping, then He starts saying, man, man, He has, he has a different spirit because He follows me, because He follows me, because He worships, because He 
spends time in my presence. His spirit has come after me and he no longer is defined by the pain of his past. He is defined by the promise of his future. Alive in his heart, he sees himself as God sees him. He sees himself at home in the promise. That's why 12 guys cross over. And when 10 walk into the promised land, they're like, oh my gosh, people live different here. They don't don't live hand to mouth like we do. Their marriages aren't falling apart. They're actually achieving their dreams. They've got more than enough. I mean, look at the size of their homes. Look at Look at the size of their walls. Look at how they eat. Look at these grapes. We haven't seen grapes like these in our entire lives. And then they're like, that, that, that is just too much. Too much. Like, that's too much for my brain to handle. So with tail between their legs, they crawl back and say, that's, that's not for us. Two, two grew up in the same slavery Yet because they were worshippers and they weren't defined by what their school teacher said about them or what their pastor said about them or what their pain has said to them, they were defined by this constant flow of the thoughts of God into their minds. I've got a future for you. I've got a hope for you. I've got a vision for you. I've got a dream for you. You're alive with a heavenly purpose. You're on this earth because I wanna show off my glory in you. If you even just get halfway to your dream, then you can be a bigger part in the plan that I've got for your life. Come on, when the two walked in, they didn't walk in and say, this is too much. They said, this is what we saw when we got into the presence of God. This is why we were put on this planet. This is my home. God wants every single person in our church, wants every single person hearing this message to step into the day when God begins to use your life and not for you to think that it's too much for you. He wants you to feel like this is exactly why He put you here is so that you can do something great for Him with your life. He wants you alive. He wants you to know that you're not a loser, you're a winner. You're not the tail, you're the head. You're not underneath, you're above. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Come on, if you believe it, no matter where you are, I think you need to lift your voice and give God just a little bit of praise. Come on, let's declare it. Let's declare it. We're starting an amazing new series next week, so I've got to wind this up, but this is what, this is what Abraham did. Abraham left his people, left his father's house, left his hometown, and spent his life. Come after me, says God. Come after me. He just built altars and received visions. He just built altars, worshipped, and received promises, vision, and dreams. And then when he died, all he had was one kid. But a promise. The most important contribution you make to the earth might not be what you achieve, but what you perceive. Not what you accomplish, but what you comprehend. Joseph. Joseph. 
He is born and pretty much right here at the start of his journey, he dreams a dream. It's an awesome dream. Don't you ever give up on your dream? And then the Bible says that he's betrayed, right? He's abused, neglected, he's imprisoned. Long time, long time, locked in prison, no hope, no future. And then one day, the king says, I need somebody to interpret my dream. And they take this kid out of a, before he can even go into the palace, they got to wash him down. I mean, they just got to hose him down. When it says the Bible says he bathed, it's not like they had hot water, you know what I'm saying? It's not like, they just said, we've got to take this jail scum and we've got to just get it off his body. All right, here's some clothes. Because you're going into the throne room, here's some clothes you've never worn before. Here's Versace. I'm not saying we should all go out and buy it. I'm just saying that's what they clothed in him, right? This is, he's going, he's going to see the king. It's not like, yeah, we found this in the recycle store. I'm not against recycle stores. I'm not against that. What I'm saying is that's not what they clothed him in. He put on clothes that exceeded any station or season of life he'd wow. ever been in. Walked into an environment he had never been in. Touched a level of influence and prosperity in a day that most people never touch in their lives. And when he walks in there, he not only gives a dream interpretation, he gives a strategic plan that he was then commissioned to outwork and his strategic plan didn't fail, it succeeded and Egypt became the most prosperous nation on earth at that time because a guy, a guy who was a worshiper of God, got a dream and he never led the devil, never led a circumstance, never led a moment of failure, never led a betrayal, never led a hurt or a disappointment, stopped the power of his dream in his life. And when he walked into what God had, he said, this is why you put me here and I'm going to do what you called me to do. And I want you to know that the dream God gave you is the dream God intends to fulfill in your life. Come on, if you believe it, stand to your feet in every campus and give God one great shout of praise together this morning. Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube.